For a more detailed account of the band's early days and the band members' personal histories, I recommend the following excellent biographies. It Crawled from the South, an R.E.M. Companion by Marcus Gray. Adventures in Hi-Fi, the complete R.E.M. by Rob Jovanovic and Tim Abbott. And R.E.M. Fiction, an alternative biography by David Buckley. There's also R.E.M. From Chronic Town to Monster by Dave Bowler and Brian Dre and Denise Sullivan's Talk About the Passion, an oral history, which are both worth checking out. For an interesting and slightly discombobulated first-person history of the early Athens scene, see Roger Lyle Brown's book Party Out of Bounds, The B-52s, R.E.M., and The Kids Who Rocked Athens, Georgia. And for a detailed, if wildly conjectural, interpretation of R.E.M.'s early lyrics, see John A. Platt's book Murmur in the now-defunct Classic Rock Album series. But that's an entirely different imperative anyway, because this book is less contingent on the lives of the members of the band than it is on the life of its author, and that's a fatal premise for a biography. But isn't that how we feel about records we love? That without us, they wouldn't exist? That they continue to mediate your existence even after you shut off the stereo, shelve the record, outgrow the band? Fandom of this kind knows that if a tree fell in a forest with no one around to hear it, not only would it not make a sound, it wouldn't have been there in the first place. A soundtrack inextricable from the life living it. We thought the forest into existence. As Francisco Varela once wrote, Every act of knowing brings forth a world. I made murmur as much as it made me. Such that it's hard to tell what's been made, subject from object, the maker from the predicate, the beholder from the beholden. When I started writing this book, I worried that I wouldn't be able to hear this album with selfish 14-year-old ears again, or worse, that I'd have no choice but to. Then I stopped worrying, since both are impossible. Varela, a philosopher of science as well as a Buddhist, called it structural drift. The notion that living organisms change over the course of their lifespan to the degree that they are never the same organism they were even a short while earlier. The cells are different. The skeleton regenerates itself every ten years. The ear cells and the brain cell colonies that heard a song for the first time no longer exist. Just a shaky continuity floating along a chain of moments. We jeopardize our grasp on something as concrete as a rock album, a record, i.e. a document to defeat time, through our own ongoing self-production. We can also call it autopoiesis, as Varela did, that growing rift between us and 14-year-old ears. That teenager is gone, but his thoughts still drift around. His ears are here, too, but now they're mine. His feelings have become my notions. His battered copy of Murmur shines dull and black on my turntable. Whose favorite album is being written about here? We can't even agree on our favorite songs. A jury of two hung by anything but lack of evidence. The jury is excused. The life that once needed the soundtrack has gone to the same place as the ears that delivered the one to the other and the air that first animated them all in sound. 
In researching the reference to Leakuan, the Hellenic figure Michael Stite mentions in the song Laughing, I happened across Richard Brilliant's My Leakuan. His book is essentially about how a personal experience of a work of art can become tainted by what history has to say about it. Brilliant argues that history divorced the famous statue of Leakuan in the Vatican Museum, known to antiquarians by the shorthand of The Leakuan, from the mythological event it's supposed to portray. The babble of tongues, Greek, Latin, German, Italian, and even English, seeming to emanate from the Leakuan and its abundant historiographic and critical texts, not only compounds the difficulty of deciphering the statue for whatever it is or was, but also brings to the fore the necessity of understanding my predecessor's understanding of the work prior to attempting to understand the sculpture myself.